0: Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Jeff Grant. Obviously, I am not Pastor Greg, who is winging his way right now down to his daughter's wedding. Uh, he'll be performing her wedding uh, in the next couple of days. I am not the replacement that Pastor Greg had for himself. we were going to have Pastor Steve preach this morning, but Pastor Steve uh, is having a problem with asthma, so he's unable to speak right now. So please keep him uh, lifted up in prayer just as he heals from that. So you kind of get stuck with me and uh, not being prepared. So uh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We will get through this. I also wanted to mention, uh, just as we're keeping people lifted up in prayer, there was a few people this morning. Also, don't forget our friend June, who used to be over our nursery. I won't use her last name on camera, but June uh, is dealing with some health issues. She's in the hospital currently. Please keep her in prayer that the Lord may heal her quickly. She has a good attitude about it, though. Okay. So New Year's Day. Happy New Year amen, go home. Okay, so I usually agree to preach, uh, to cover last minute and stuff like that when I know it's one of those holiday weekends when nobody's going to show up, and yet here you all are. I did Thanksgiving weekend also because I figured no one would be here, people were here. Christmas morning, the Christmas Sunday, we thought no one would be here, there were people here, but well here we are. It is the new year. Uh, Today is the first day of 2023, We are looking at a new possibility of 365 days of wonderful adventure in this next year, correct? We hope so, right? That's what we pray for. So um, when I heard from uh, Pastor Steve and Pastor Greg about the possibility that Pastor Steve may not be able to join us this morning, um, it really wasn't a lot of time to prepare a sermon properly. So I'm going to warn you up front, I'm using somebody else's sermon I am. This is written by a man named Charles Spurgeon, over 154 years ago. Now, uh, you might not, Charles Spurgeon, there there he is, right? So he's a Victorian pastor, you might not know who he is, Uh, some of you may know who he is. He is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a Victorian Calvinistic Baptist minister who testified as a uh, powerful gospel witness in his time. He was known as the uh, Prince of Preachers, but his influence still endures today. Um, through his sermons and his writings. Um, In 1856, he founded uh, a a pastor's college in England. It was a free seminary that was designed to uh, help rough-and-ready ministers sharpen their skills for the ministry. And within the first 20 years of him doing this, uh, his students planted over 53 Baptist churches in London alone, not counting the rest of England or or mission work, right? Uh, So that... It's very exciting, he's a, it's very, he's a, if you don't know who he is, read up on him, read some of his stuff. Why did I choose this this morning? The first time I heard about uh, Charles Spurgeon was when I first started attending here. It wasn't from Pastor Larry, do you remember Dr. Sir, Jerry Sir? Some of you may, uh, so Dr. Sir was a, a retired pastor who uh, helped out here, and I wasn't a pastor yet, I was, I was not even thinking about being a pastor at the time, when, when he first brought up Charles Spurgeon to me. We used to have work days here at the church where we'd all get together and we'd work on the different properties. My family always chose where the counseling office was and that's where Dr. Sir and his wife lived. So if you remember Jerry and Marge, Jerry, a very gracious man, uh, uh, Marge was a taskmaster. Um, so I'd be out there and she would lean out the window no matter what side of the building I was on and she'd be like, Jeffrey, you're not weeding those, that garden right. Jeffrey, you need to rake all of the leaves Constantly. Now, I wasn't a kid. This was not that long ago, so I was in my 40s. But uh, in talking to Jerry during one of the breaks, he had mentioned Charles Spurgeon and the group that we we're talking about. I said, "I don't know who that is," and he says, "You should really read stuff by him. He has some wonderful things." One of the things he mentioned to me was this sermon I'm going to share with you today. Uh, this was written uh, by Charles Spurgeon. It was delivered by him uh, January 1st, 1885. So it's a it's a little dated. I did try to um, make the language a little bit more relevant to our time period because, let's be honest, uh, it's hard to follow Victorian English. I I literally sat there uh, on Friday between the weddings we had um, with my Google app open, looking up words. I'm like, what does this word even mean? Nobody uses this anymore. Uh, So hopefully, I tried to make it a little bit more easily uh, understandable to us. And like I said, if you have an opportunity, a lot of his writings are wonderful things. My wife and I use his—our uh, favorite is probably his uh, writings, uh, Mornings and Evenings, uh, by Spurgeon. We use that as devotional often. Uh, I think my wife still uses it every, every day. Uh, but it is just—they're just, so, just great meditations that span time. Because the Lord's Word does not turn up void, right? It doesn't matter whether it was written in 1855 or it's something that's being spoken again today. It won't turn up void. So, I'm going to tr- get right into it. I'll do my best to cover what he was teaching, that the Lord was teaching him, that he's trying to teach all of us. There's only one passage we're going to go to today, and that's Revelation 21.5. Revelation 21.5, so we will start there. Revelation's a wonderful book of hope. How many of you avoid Revelation because it scares you? Am I the only one? All right, thank you. There's two others, three others. D- sometimes it's frightening, right? As a young person, you don't want to go to that book. It talks about the end times. You don't want to think about the end. You're 25 years old. You're 17 years old. Whatever you are, you don't want to think about the end of the world. But as you get a little bit older, you realize this is a wonderful book of hope. Of the hope of what the future is actually going to bring for us, the believers in Christ. So, Revelation 21 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So I'm going to break down that one passage, or I'm going to let Charles Spurgeon break it down. I'm just going to use my words. How we are pleased with that which is new. We just had Christmas, right? We love getting presents. Our child's eyes sparkle when they, uh, when they talk of getting a new toy or a new book. And for our short-lived human natures, we love whichever the latest thing is, the newest thing, the newest fad, the newest iPhone, In this respect, we're still children, for we eagerly demand the news of the day, and we're all too apt to rush after the many inventions of the hour. I shouldn't wonder, therefore, if the words of of my text should sound like a pleasant song in your ears, but I'm thankful there's a deeper meaning which is even more helpful. The newness which Jesus brings is bright, clear, heavenly, and enduring. We are at this moment especially ready for a new year, Most of us have grown weary with the economy today and the hard times we faced this past year. We're glad to escape from what has been to many of us a 12-month trial. 2022 has become wheezy, croaking, and decrepit in its old age, and we lay it to sleep with a psalm of judgment and mercy. We hope that this newborn year will not be worse than its predecessor, and we pray that it will be a great deal better. At any rate, it's new, and we're encouraged to couple it with the idea of happiness, as most of us said to each other this morning, Happy New Year. We shouldn't, as followers of Christ, be carried away uh, by a childish love of novelty, though, for we worship a God who is ever the same and of whose years there is no end. In some manners, the old is better than the new. There are some things which are already so truly new that it, to change them from anything else would be to lose gold for new dross. The old, old gospel is the newest thing in the world. It still is. And its very essence, it's forever good news and to some, new news. And the great matter of truth and godliness we may safely say there is nothing new under the sun. yet, There's been so much evil about ourselves and our old nature, so much sin about our life and the old past, so much mischief about our surroundings and the old temptations that we're not distressed by the belief that the old things are passing away. As believers, that's good news. Hope springs up from the first sound of such words as these from the lips of our risen and reigning Lord. Behold, I make all things new. It's fitting that things so outworn and defiled should be laid aside and and better things fill their places. This is the first day of a new year and therefore a solemnly joyous day. Though there's no real difference between it and any other day of the year, but in our minds and thoughts it's a marked period which we regard as one of the milestones set upon the highway of our lives. It's only in our imagination that there's any close of one year and the beginning of another. And yet we treat it as a great fact. Much like the sailors of old who know that the sea bears no actual physical trace of a line at the equator. But they know where it is and they take notice of it and mark it down in their logs as they cross it. But they know it's just a made-up line on a map. So we are crossing such a line right now. We have sailed into the year of grace, 2023. If Jesus hasn't made you new already, let the new year cause you to think about the great and needful change of putting your faith in Christ as Savior, your Savior. And if the Lord has already begun to make you new, we have, and we somehow and somewhat, entered into the new world wherein dwells righteousness. Let's be persuaded by the season to press forward into the center of his new creation, that we may feel the full power of his grace. The words he speaks to us are truly divine. Listen. Behold, I make. This is Jesus talking. Behold, I make. Who is the great I? Jesus, right? God. Who but the eternal Son of God? Behold, I make. Who can make but God? The maker of heaven and earth. It's his high prerogative to make or to destroy. Behold, I make. All things. What a range of creating power is here. Nothing stands outside that all surrounding circle. Nothing. He makes all things. Behold, I make all things new. What a splendor of almighty goodness shines out upon our souls with those words. Lord, let us consider and enter into this new universe of yours. Let us be newly created with the all things that you write about here, that you talk about. And in us, also may others see the marvels of your renewing love. Lord, we we will rejoice and be glad forever in that which you've created. The former troubles are forgotten and are hid from our eyes because of your ancient promise that we find in Isaiah 65, verse 7. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Here is one of the grandest truths that ever fell from the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Behold, I make all things new. This renewing work has been in our Lord's hands from days of old. We were under the old covenant, uh, and our first father, Adam, had broken that covenant, and we were ruined by this this fatal breach, weren't we? The substance of the old covenant was like this. If you will keep my command, you'll live. And your posterity shall live. Your posterity, meaning your children, your children's children, and so forth. But if you eat of the tree which I've forbidden you, you're going to die, and your posterity with you. That was the covenant of old, right? This is where we were fo- found, broken in pieces, sorely wounded, even slain by the tremendous fall which destroyed both our paradise and ourselves. When Adam, uh, we died in Adam as to spiritual life, and our death revealed itself in an inward tendency to evil which reigned in our bodies, right? Which reigned inside of us. We were like Ezekiel's deserted infant, unswallowed and, unswaddled and unwashed, left in our filth to die. But the Son of God passed by and saw us in the greatness of our ruin. In his wondrous love, our Lord Jesus put us under a new covenant, a covenant of which he became the second Adam. A covenant which is this, If you you shall render perfect obedience and vindicate my justice, then those who are in you shall not perish, but they shall live because you live. Now, our Lord Jesus has fulfilled his portion of the covenant, and the compact stands as a bond of pure promise without condition or risk. Those who are participants in that covenant cannot invalidate it, for it never actually depended on them, now did it, but only upon he who is their representative before God, and that is Jesus Christ. Of Jesus, the demand was made, and he met it. By him, man's side of the covenant was undertaken and fulfilled, and now no condition remains. It's solely made up of promises which are unconditional and sure to all believers. Today, believers are not under the covenant of, if you do this, you shall live, but under the new covenant which says, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. It's not now, do and live but it's live and do. We don't think of merit or reward, but we think of the free grace producing holy practice as a result of gratitude to what the Lord Christ has done for us. What law couldn't do, grace has accomplished. We must never forget this foundation of everything, this making of all things new by the fashioning of a new covenant, so that we have come out from under the bondage of the law and the ruin of the fall, and we have rendered, rendered I'm sorry, we have entered upon the liberty of Christ into acceptance with God and into the boundless joy of being saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation, one we cannot lose. So that we shall not be an ashamed nor confounded world without end. You young people here today, as soon as you know Christ your Savior, I would exhort you to study well that word covenant. It's a key word opening the tre- treasures of Revelation. Someone that rightly understands the difference between those two covenants has the foundation of sound theology in his mind. You know that. You know all you need to know. You're up there with the greats. I make all things new begins with the bringing in of a better hope by virtue of a better covenant. The foundation being made new, the Lord Jesus Christ has set before us a new way of life, which grows out of that covenant. The old way of life was, if you enter into life, keep the commandments. They are perfect and holy and just and good. But, dear friends, you and I have broken the commandments, haven't we? We we don't dare say that we've kept the Ten Commandments from our childhood until now, do we? On the contrary... We are compelled by our consciences to confess that in spirit and in heart, and if not, in act and deed, we have continually broken the law of God. And we are therefore under sin and condemnation, and there is no hope for us by the works of the law. There's no way the law can save us. For this reason, the gospel sets before us another way and says, it's of faith that it might be by grace. It's by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. It's that simple. We we read or hear of being justified by faith and being made acceptable to God by faith. To be justified means being made really just. Though we're guilty in ourselves, and we're regarded as uh, 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 even though we're guilty in ourselves, we're regarded as just by the virtue of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. All of it's forgotten, all our past. So we fall into condemnation through another, through Adam. We rise into justification through yet another, Jesus Christ. It's written in Isaiah 53:11, "By his knowledge shall my righteous servants justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." And this scripture is fulfilled in all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Our path to eternal glory is the road of faith. The just shall live by faith. We are accepted in the beloved. When we believe in Him whom God set forth to be our righteousness. Romans 3:20: "By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in His sight." Romans 3:24, "But we are justified freely by His grace through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." What a blessing it is for you and me that Jesus made all things new in that respect. I'm glad I don't have to stand here and say, "My family and friends, do this and do that, and you will be saved. Because uh I we wouldn't do as we were commanded, because we don't really listen, do we? Our nature is weak and wicked. But I have to bid you, as the old hymn says, the hymn, nothing either great or small, it says, Lay down your deadly lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, and him alone gloriously complete. I trust you will accept this most gracious and suitable way of salvation that's been offered to you. It's the Most glorious to God, and it's safe to you, don't neglect so great a salvation. After you've believed and let yourself be transformed, you'll go and do all manner of holy deeds as a result of your new life, but don't attempt them in the view of earning life. Don't be prompted any longer by the selfish motive of saving yourself but by gratitude for the fact that you are saved if you put your faith in Christ. You will rise to virtue and true holiness. Faith has brought us into the possession of an incorruptible salvation. And now, for the love we bear our Savior, we must obey him and become zealous for good works. By grace, every believer is brought into a new relationship with God. Let's rejoice in this. You are no more a servant, but a A child, an adopted child of God. And if a child, then an heir of God through Christ. You who are now children, you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You were servants a little while ago, were you not? Some of you may still be servants now. And as servants who haven't accepted Christ yet, I would would encourage you, I would bid you to expect your wages that are due you because your service has been no service but a rebellion if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior yet. You ought to be thankful to God that he hasn't yet dealt with you after your sins nor rewarded you according to your iniquities. I think we all can be very thankful for that. Behold, I make all things new, says Jesus, and then he makes his people his children. When we are made children, do we do his work for reward? No. We have no desire for any present payment, for our Father says to us, like we're the prodigal son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. We can't demand the reward because we already have all that our Father possesses. He's given us himself and his all. What more can we possibly desire? He will never drive us from his house. Never has our great father disowned one of his children. It can't be. His loving heart is too much bound up in his own adopted ones. That near and dear relationship which is manifested in adoption and regeneration binds the child of God to the great father's heart in such a way that he will never cast him off nor suffer him to perish. I rejoice in the fact that we are no longer bond slaves but children. Behold, Jesus says, I make all things new. There's also been wrought in us by the work of the Holy Spirit a new life with all the new feelings and new desires and new works that go with them. That same Spirit of God who taught us that we were ruined in our old estate that told us that we weren't very worthy of things led us gently by the hand till we came to the new covenant promise and looked to Jesus and saw him as the full atonement for sin. A happy discovery for us. It was kindling of new life in us. From the moment that we trusted Jesus, a new life darted into our spirit. Hopefully you still remember that, and it still lives within you today. I'm not going to say which is first, the new birth or faith or repentance. Nobody can tell which spoke of the wheel moves first. It moves as a whole. The moment the divine life comes into the heart, we believe. The moment we believe, the eternal life is there. We repent because we believe, and believe while we repent. We repent. The life that we live in the flesh is no longer according to the lust of the world, but we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Our spiritual life is a newborn thing, the creation of the spirit of life. We have, of course, that natural life, which is sustained, which is sustained by food and water, and it's evidenced by our breathing, our breath right now. But there is another life, a life within, which is not seen by men nor fed by the provisions of this world. We are conscious of having been quickened, for we were dead once in our sin, and we know it. But now we have passed from death into life, and we know it quite as certainly. A new and higher motive sways us now, for we seek not self, but God. Another hand grasps the tiller and steers our ship into a new course. New desires are felt to which we were strangers in our former state. New fears are also mighty within us, holy fears which once we should have and did ridicule before we were saved. New hopes are in us, bright and sure, ones that we didn't even desire to know before when we lived a life that was carnal. We are not what we were, we are new, and we have begun a new career as a believer. We are not what we shall be, but assuredly we are not what we used to be. As for myself, my consciousness of being a new man in Christ Jesus is often as sharp and and as crisp as my consciousness of being an existence. I know I'm not only and solely what I was when I was first born. I feel within myself another life, a second and a higher vitality, which is often to contend with the lower self that's still inside of me. And by that very contention makes me conscious of its existence. This new principle is from day to day, gathering strength and winning the victory. and, And it has its hand upon the throat of our old sinful nature. And it shall eventually trample it like dust beneath its feet. I feel this within me. I hope you do also. If you feel this, I know you can say that Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne, makes all things new. Blessed be his name. It needed the Lord himself to make Someone like us knew. None but a Savior on a throne could accomplish it and therefore let him have the glory of it. It's nothing you did. It's everything he did. I believe that Jesus Christ has in some of you not only made you new but has made everything new to you. That moment when you say, wow, either the world has been greatly altered, you know that moment after salvation? Some of you have lived this. I know I did. Wow, the world has been greatly altered or else I've been greatly altered. Why either you or I are turned upside down in nature or the world is, we used to think it was a wise world once, right? We thought everything in the world was good, but how foolish we think it now. We used to think it a happy world that showed us real happiness, but we're no longer deceived. We've seen the face behind the mask. The world is crucified unto me, said Paul. And many of you can say the same. It's like a gibbeted criminal hung up to die. It's passing away. Meanwhile, there is no love lost, for the world thinks much the same of us. And therein we can sympathize with Paul when we say, I am crucified unto the world. What a transformation grace makes in all things within our little world. In our heart, there is a new heaven and a new earth. What a change in our joys. As we think about that, we're ashamed to think of what our joys used to be, but they're heavenly now. We're equally ashamed of our hates and our prejudices, but these have vanished once and for all as we love one another. Why now the love, now we love the very things we once despised because we hated to be rebuked by the Lord God or by the Holy Spirit. And our heart flies as with wings after that which was once detested. What a different Bible we have now Before being saved, you ever read the Bible? After salvation, it reads a lot differently, doesn't it? It's a blessed book. It's the same, but oh, how differently we read it as believers. The mercy seat, that thing that used to scare me as a child when I heard about it from my pastor, what a different place it is now. Our wretched formal prayers, if we prayed at all when we were younger, before salvation... What a mockery they were. But now we draw near to God and speak with our Father with delight. We have access to him by the new and living way. The house of God, how different it is from what it used to be. I know I used to despise going to church. And now I look forward to it. We love to be found within its walls. We feel delighted to join in the praises of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory be to our Redeemer's name. Why shouldn't we lift up our voices and praise? We should, and we will. That's what you do when you sing the hymns, the songs. He has put a new song into our mouths, and we must sing it. The mountains and the hills break forth before us into singing, and we cannot be dumb. Praise and our new delight. Let's baptize the new year into a sea of it. The process which we have roughly described as taking place in ourselves is in other forms going on in this world. The whole creation is engaged in a painful effort as we speak. All time is groaning. Providence is working. Grace is striving, all for one end the bringing forth of a new and better age. It's coming. It is coming. John didn't write in vain in Revelation 21. And verses 1 through 5, he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. What a prospect does all this open up to us as a believer. Our future is glorious. Many of you are probably like sitting there like, 2022, I'm glad it's done, and I'm not looking forward to 2023, but our future is glorious. Let's not let our present be gloomy. It should be joyful. In the text, there is an earnest call for us to consider this work of our Lord. He said, behold, I make all things. Why should he call upon us to behold it? I think that the Lord Jesus especially calls us to consider this, that we may, according to our condition, profit from it. First, if the Lord Jesus makes all things new, then a new birth is possible to you, my friends. Though you may have come here in a wrong state of heart with your sins upon you and a prisoner of your sin, there is enough of a light in your soul for you to know that you are in darkness." You're saying to yourself, Oh, that I could reach to better things. I hear how these people of God cry hallelujah at what Christ has done for them. Can he do the same for me? Listen. There is nothing so old that he can't make it new. Nothing so fixed and habitual that he can't change it. Don't you know that the Spirit of God has regenerated men and women further gone into sin than you? Never think you're the only one. They have been as deeply sunken in sin and and as hardened by habit as you could ever be. And then they thought themselves given up to despair as you might think yourself to be. Yet the Spirit of God carried out the will of the Lord Christ and made them new. Why should he not make you new? Let every thief know that the dying thief entered heaven by faith in Jesus. Let everyone that has been a great transgressor, remember how Manasseh received a new heart and repented of his evil deeds. Let everyone who has left the paths of purity remember how the woman that was a sinner loved much because much had been forgiven her. I can't doubt the possibility of your salvation, my dear friend, whenever I think of my own. If I can be saved, certainly you can. The grace of God, how it can tame us, how it can turn us, with no bit or bridle but With blessed tenderness, it turns us according to its pleasure. It can turn you if it has not done so already. I want then to drop into your ear, and may the Spirit of God drop into your heart this word, you may be born again. You do not need to be dead. The Lord can work a radical change in you. He sits on the throne and can do for you that which you cannot do for yourself. And as he made you once... And you became marred by sin, he can make you new. For he said, Behold, I make all things new. Friends, the Lord Jesus is able to take your life entirely and make it new. We have seen many transformed into new parents and new children. We have seen men become new husbands and women become new wives. They are the same people, and yet not the same. Grace works a very deep, striking, and lasting change. Ask those who um, live or have had to live with converted people whether the trans- transformation has not been marvelous. Christ makes new servants, new masters, new friends, new brothers and sisters. The Lord can so change us that we scarcely know ourselves anymore. There is no absolute necessity that you should always go downward into evil. Till you descend into hell that does not have to happen there's a hand that can lift you up in the opposite direction think of niagara falls and its descent as it falls down what if all of a sudden it started to fall up that'd be quite a thing to see right but god could do that if he wanted to he can reverse the course of fallen nature anywhere and He can make you act as a new child of his he can stay the tide of your raging passion he can make you who were like a devil, become an angel of God. For he speaks from the throne of his eternal majesty, saying, Behold, I make all things new. Lay yourself down at his feet and ask him to make you new. If you have been all your lifetime in bondage, you don't need to remain there any longer. For there is in Jesus the power to make all things new and to lift you into new delights. It will seem to be a a deadlift to you, but within the power of that pierced hand to lift you right out of doubt and fear, despondency and spiritual lethargy and weakness, and just to make you now from this day forward strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So that's not the entirety of Charles Spurgeon's sermon from that first day of the year in 1855. I cut it down quite a bit because he speaks directly to his family. So it wouldn't be appropriate for me to put that here. So I'm going to speak directly to my family here. We are starting a new year. This is the first day. What a joyous and glorious thought. We deal with tough times. We deal with tough things. We don't have money. We don't have health. We don't have the people around us that we used to have. We don't have the same music that used to be around. What happened to 80s music? Now it's classic. I don't get that. That was good music, most of it. And then people pointed out and showed me it's not good music. Okay, whatever. We always look back. Let's stop looking back and start looking forward. Let's stop being people who sit around in misery, looking at the doom and gloom that's coming. And when we think of what Revelation's talking about, we think of, oh, that's just more doom and gloom. No, that's a promise. My family, that's a promise. This is the future we have. If you are sitting here today and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, this is our future. We have an eternal life. It's not going to be misery. He will wipe away every tear. All the pain will be gone. Stay strong in this journey that you're in right now on this earth that we are only here temporarily for. This is a short journey and the life of eternity. And if you're here today and you haven't made the decision to accept Christ as your Savior because you're too afraid or you don't know what to do, don't be afraid. If you're here, that means you know something's up in my life. Something's not right. Accept Christ as your Savior. All you gotta do is put your faith into him that he has forgiven you and taking the penalty and price of your sin, everything that you ever did and will do that's wrong. You don't have to pay for that. You won't go to hell if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you might ask, Pastor Jeff, does that mean my life is going to all of a sudden become miraculously better? Not necessarily. We are told that there's going to be suffering. We are told there's going to be trials. But you have a joy that you can look forward to. He makes all things new. Let it be with you. And through you, let it go out to everyone around you. This is day one of this year. Let's make an effort this year to let our light so shine before men that they want to come and know who Christ is. Not just in here. There may be some people in here that need it. Don't get me wrong. But let's make sure we go outside of our holy huddle and we go out into the community. Let's make sure when we're at work, we say things. Now, by all means, follow the policies of your job. Make sure you're allowed to talk about it. I don't want you to get fired, you know. But if somebody asks... Be ready to give an answer. And you're like, but I'm not a theologian. Hello, did you not hear what Charles Spurgeon said? If you understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Covenant being the law, the Old Covenant being what God had with Adam, that's been replaced by the covenant of the blood of Christ. Meaning, all your sins are no longer forgiven, just put your faith in me. I will adopt you as a child. Be ready to talk to people about that. Be ready to make it your motto for this year. And before we have Pastor Aaron come up, I believe we have another song? Yes? So we're going to come up and we're going to sing to his holy name. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to prepare us for this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your holy word that does not change, that is enduring throughout all time. Lord, we ask as we continue throughout this year here being the first day that you work in every single one of our hearts to strengthen us and to remind us who you are that we can look to you and see the joy that we have in being your child we allow it to transform our life this year lord minute by minute hour by hour day by day allow us to become the light you have called us to become lord allow us to become the brothers and sisters in christ you have you've commanded us to be Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your salvation. You have done for us what we never could do on our own. We thank you for the eternity that is coming. We thank you for the new heaven and the new earth that is coming. And when you return, Lord, it will be such a glorious time. It's not a time to be fearful, but a time to be joyful. Allow us to see that joy, Lord. We ask this in your name.